Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Married 38 years coming up on second D-Day after eight years of acting out with sex workers. At first, he seemed so relieved to give this up, but now he has very little libido and seems content with just getting affection and being held. After a lifetime of porn addiction, could this be part of his brain rewiring itself, trying to be patient and understanding, but it's hard. Okay, so this is a long answer. I'm writing it down so I don't forget. So... Part of the problem is that you have to understand as active sex addict, I am approaching sex through intensity. I can't wait to be with that person. We're going to hide it. We're going to, it's going to be an affair. It's going to, I'm going to make the sex worker love me. I mean, this is the best porn in the world. Whatever it is, it's met with excitement and heart beating, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and new, right? New images, new people, new experiences. And by the way, if you're having an affair, that person never has to do the laundry or take care of the kids or gain 30 pounds. So it's all new. But sex with a partner, as many of you women know, I think, doesn't come from hot, new, exciting, you know, and as a man, it's like, I've seen that butt before. It's been 20 years. So if we're going to be sexual, it has to come from a different place of really connecting. And, you know, my spouse and I, we lie down, we, you know, oil, relaxing, kissing. And guess what? It was amazing. Here's the problem. Sex addicts have an intimacy problem. We, this is an intimacy disorder. It is much easier for a sex addict to go to a stranger and have an intimate feeling experience over which they have control because no sex worker or porn is ever going to let them down or hurt them. But when they come close to you, it's terrifying because you either remind us of the mothers who overwhelmed us or we're terrified that you'll abandon us or whatever it is. So we keep you at a distance and by the emotionally and sometimes sexually. So here's the deal. When we put all of that craziness down, and I hope he has, we turn to you and you're not intense. You're not, I'm not saying you're not exciting, but not in that way, like a strip club. And since we have an intimacy problem, what we tend to do in our relationships is then avoid sex. We like the cuddling and all that, but we're scared to death of the kind of emotional merging that happens when you have sex. Otherwise, we would have had it with you all along. So we split our lives into sexual acting out, intimacy, home, and relationship, because we can't on some level level, tolerate putting the two together. Um, And what often happens, and Tammy will say this, she gets like, wait, he stopped acting out, or she stopped, really, she stopped acting out. Now we never have sex. I would have thought when this stopped that it would have gotten better. I would say this is the under the iceberg part. Um, It's also a good thing to talk to about a good couples therapist or sexologist. There are many methods. I mean, I'm a sexologist. I know this. They're, yes, they give you degrees in sex. <laughs> Some people don't know that. Um, and they can guide you through all kinds of exercises and activities. Because there's a lot of, I know when I studied it, there was a lot about what if someone has trauma and they back away from sex? Or they, how do you move, man or woman, how do you move them toward more connection in a safe and comfortable way the person can have control? Or, so I do think there are skill sets that can be brought to this, but I'll give you my ultimate answer, which is, you can write this one down. I love this. And I didn't make it up. Omar did. Um, when you are sec- when you're in recovery and you're with a partner, that sex for us sex addicts has to come from willingness, not horniness. 
So I'm just not going to be, you know, men are very visually oriented. That's why we like porn and strip club. You know, it's our thing. We like to look. And I'm not going to be visually stimulated as much as I love you. I'm not going to be visually stimulated by someone I've been with for 13 years. But I will get stimulated by the emotions if I let my, if I'm willing to lie down with you, to massage you, to kiss you. The thing is, my first, and this is true. My husband's not in the room. <laughs> Sorry. Um, there he's going away now. Um, I would rather read the paper than have sex with him. And it's not about him. It's just my first reaction is to move away. Like I'm busy. I have something to do. It's not on my mind. I don't feel like it. I want to be held. I want to be connected. But that sex part is like, oh, I'd rather do this because I'm scared. Um, and when I move toward with willingness instead of away because you don't make me horny, that's the answer to your question. If he's working a program, now he's running into the underlying problem of intimacy. Whew, that was a lot. That was a lot, but it was fantastic. So, okay. So the next question is, how can my essay partner go from seeing prostitutes to having an affair for 18 months? How can the day-in, day-out communication with the affair partner be compartmentalized? I understand seeing prostitutes. You have sex with them and you're done. But talking to them every day and seeing them once or twice a week is very hard to understand. And I understand escalation, but an affair relationship is so different to me. I think that that's, that's a common question. So well, there's two questions. I'd like to tackle one, and I really wish, especially as a woman, you would tackle the other. Okay. And the one I'm going to talk to, ask you to tackle is what's the difference between someone to, to, uh, for a woman between someone who's having casual sex and someone who has an affair? I'd love you to talk about that. But I want to say sadly to you that I don't think this man is telling, telling the truth. And most of the men I work with have affairs and see prostitutes, or they turn one of the sex workers into an affair. So while they're seeing other sex workers, many of the men I work with will say, oh, it's if it's not my wife, it's her, or not my husband, it's it's him, only to realize when they go to the next person and discard their current relationship, they're still seeing sex workers. So it doesn't, and of course, you know, it isn't about you. So, um, and the, yeah, I just, and for when I'm reading this and the way it feels, I bet this person has not had a formal disclosure, as I'm guessing, or they've not gone through the process. But most of all, I think the questions you're asking are too specific. And I think there's a more general problem here that I bet there's a lot you don't know. It's my guess. Tammy? And please don't ask him for the details because like, <laughs> like, yeah, that that is like, I call it a vomit disclosure where you just get details. I was just answering an email right before I got on here and somebody said, I got breadcrumbs. You know, it's like, I keep getting little pieces of it. And she is so traumatized. And I was like, yes, because you just don't know when the next breadcrumb is going to, it's going to be a brick, but you know, it's going to hit. And, and so, so getting that information in, in a, Therapeutic disclosure, you know, is a much more humane way of for you to receive the information. But it also, like, I'm wondering, um, uh, like, if he has any, like, has he stopped the behavior? Where is he at with all of that type of thing? But as far as, I mean, I've had partners who are of uh, guys who are just sex addicts, and I use air quotes on that, and they're like, I, you know, it feels like I shouldn't be as traumatized by that as you know, what, you know, what an emotional affair or a physical affair or whatever it is. And, and and it's all cheating. It all hurts. You know, it all hurts in the same place, you know, so the degree of, you know, what he's doing, um, you know, and I get, uh, so I can tell you about compartmental. I, that was the word I picked up on is compartmentalization. It's really easy to put this in a compartment and go, oh, it doesn't touch any of this. As long as no one else finds out, I can do this. But I'm also thinking the affair is not 
you know, that's not a vulnerable and intimate relationship like Dr. Rob was just describing in the last question. That is, again, contractual. I'm meeting, getting my needs met. I'm, you know, paying for sex. I'm doing, it's, it's transactional, it's intensity, it's, you know, it's high risk behavior, et cetera. So it is still not a connected, intimate relationship. I do think it's harder for partners when they perceive that there is some intimacy when it's a longer term thing than when it's simply transactional. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all cheating and it's all painful, you know, for you. So, so just looking at those and going, how can you do that? He cheated on you. He was unfaithful. He's, you know, he's hurt you and it's all goes in the same pot of hurt. So. I will say one more thing, though, just to add to that. And thank you, Tammy, because you're right. It's all the same on some level. And I just see, and by the way, if you want to see your lives in 1986, go see Fatal Attraction. Find a way to see it. Because if you see how that affair is carried out, Michael Douglas, I mean, really, you look back to the late 80s and it's like, he did all that. He did partial disclosure. He he lied to her, you know, and, and he was lying about what he was doing with the woman. I mean, it all plays out. Sorry, but it's a really good movie. Um, I just want to say that, and, and the reason I thought of that is because, you know, I, I show a clip when I teach, right? And the clip has a woman who's just realized her husband's having having sex with other with another woman. And she looks at him and she's terrified and she says, you know, okay, you're having sex, you're having, you're doing this. Do you love her? And so the next level down for this person was like, okay, I can kind of handle if it's just sex, especially casual sex. But if you have feelings for her, that's a threat to my home, to everything we've ever talked about, you know. And I think it goes down the heart. I mean, it goes down into the gut a little further um, because it's a whole different level of threat. But on the other hand, as Tammy said, you see it that way. But from our perspective, it's all it all screws you guys up. Um, And plus, they do it for the same reasons, even though it means different things to you. Thanks, Tammy. What's the so next? the next next question, she's constantly watching my every move to protect herself from further trauma. I know this is normal, but not healthy for her. Is there more um, I can do besides maintaining our boundaries to help her feel safe? Yes. You can buy a book I wrote called Out of the Doghouse, a relationship saving guide for men caught cheating. Out of the Doghouse, A Relationship-Saving Guide for Men Caught Cheating. And the reason that I recommend the book is not just because I'm going to make a lot of money, because as Tammy knows, publishers don't pay me much. But this is one of the few books that I've seen written from a man to men, because I've had so much experience with betrayed partners. We don't get your pain. We don't understand the depth of your pain. And men are problem solvers. I mean, we like to fix things, but your betrayal, we don't know how to fix, because we underestimate it. We think, oh, well, They'll get over it in this amount of time, or they won't, you know, or we don't understand it and we underestimate it. So what I wrote for guys is, you know, if you want to be in this relationship, if you, then you have a lot of work to do. And you're not equals in this relationship. You're in the doghouse. And this is what you have to do to get back in the house. And it's very much don't say this, do say this, because, you know, maybe we can talk these guys into empathy by practicing it. And then they feel the good of it. And, you know, but they're not going to know what to do or say, um, and there's something else about this. I would really be curious, um, how long has this person been sober? How long have you been working on it? How? One of the things that's in Doghouse is, you know, a lot of what you can control about your spouse's response is doing your part and them not, you know, the spouse who has to say, well, did you go to therapy this week? Or have you been to meetings? I haven't. That's not good. We're supposed to come to you and say, I just want to let you know I went to these meetings. We're supposed to reassure you. So that kind of thing's not going on. Maybe there's some things you can institute to make her feel more safe. 
Yeah, that, and I also am not sure what support she has. Um, we, we, I was just emailing before we got on here too with someone and she commented on how uh, she joined our betrayed partner groups and to get the level of support to see other people who are in a similar situation was really helpful for her. So I'm wondering if your wife has been able to, I hope, hopefully she's on here, but hopefully she reaches out and joins some of the betrayed partner groups as well. So uh, gets that level of support. And perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, you, and you said we're maintaining our boundaries. So like, you know, the boundaries, like I'm curious and if boundaries are well done, then they create safety. So, so, you know, but continuing to honor those not lying about anything, you know, that's how you start to be, rebuild trust. So next question. I know we always say healing from SA takes anywhere from three to five years initially. How long does it generally take the addict to be comfortable initiating and having sex in a healthy manner with their spouse? I know it will uh, mm -hmm. greatly vary, but just generally. This is yeah, a lot like the first question, question. it is a different well, question. Well, it's a little it's different because mm -hmm. it's how, I mean, my hope is this person's got a lot of recovery and things are going well. And so at what point might we be sexual again, whether the is the addict or the partner? That's what I kind of read into this. And first of all, I don't think, I don't think that healing takes three to five years. I don't think it has anything to do with in 90 days, all this. And if I'm working really hard, it, it's specific to the individual, every single person. It took me, I'm going to stop, years to stop doing what I was doing because I was so sick. Um, but some people get it right away and they get into therapy. But may, let me be really clear. Addiction is a lifelong challenge. The tracks for this were laid down when we were two, three, four, five, and six, whatever. And we're not going back there to fix that. So this is layered into the way our brain functions. When you say, why doesn't he want to have sex with me? It's because all these pieces in his brain that he doesn't even connect with up here is saying, watch out, watch out, this could be scary. And, and he doesn't know that. He just says, I'm reading the paper. So um, it's not three to five years. And Tammy and I can both tell you, having been working on ourselves, still, if you don't mind my saying this, Tammy, still going to therapy, still going to meetings. I've been doing this for over 30 years because I know that I am vulnerable. Uh, I had a therapist say, Really quickly, I went to a therapist once and I, he, I said, am I going to be in therapy forever? And he said, some people need support throughout the lifespan, which meant, yes, you're going to be in therapy forever. But the thing is, I didn't have parents. You know, I didn't have, I had crazy people growing up, growing up. I need the guidance of people in my life that can redirect me in ways. Okay, I answered that question. Second of all, you know, I think, first of all, I will say this to every partner. Don't have sex with someone you don't trust. In fact, don't let someone you don't trust in your bed. Um, I think that's a really good idea, because if I said, you know, you know the neighbor, but how do you feel about getting in bed with you? You'd say, I don't trust them, you know, whatever. Don't sleep with people you don't trust, because if you are, then you're doing it for some other reason than how you feel about yourself. The other thing is, if you're both working on yourselves, you know, it doesn't start with sex. It starts with holding hands. It starts with going on dates. You really have to rediscover each other. Just like, you know, healthy dating is at the end point of something after a period of time, kissing, hugging, walking, you know, maybe a few months, we'd be sexual or whatever, maybe the first night. I don't know. But in this case, I think you have to take it slow. You have to protect yourself. And I don't mean take it three years before you have sex. I mean, when you start initiating connection, make sure you've initiated emotionally that you're really, you know, it has to come out of the connection between and then start with little pieces like you'll give him a bath or she'll someone will comb her hair just little pieces that are intimate um that don't necessarily lead to actual immediate sex because i don't think if you think about the goal it isn't to have sex it's to grow a relationship 
around which sex might occur, you know? So anyway, I don't know, Tammy, do you have anything else? The only word I wanted to comment on was comfortable initiating those two words, because I was like, he, he may never be comfortable initiating, but like Dr. Rob was talking about, it's being willing, you know, at some point it's like, even like it, it, as addicts, like we are often uncomfortable because like, this is all foreign things. We'd rather run off and escape to something else. So, so learning to just do things, um, and start be willing changes it and then you know we gain some comfort with it but but to just be comfortable initiating you know and and you could initiate I mean it's one of those things that it doesn't always have to be you know him it doesn't always have to be you you guys can figure it out um, but sensate focused uh, therapy uh, uh, that's a, that might be a really useful place to start for the two of you it's non-general touching but you know it's a place to start so Okay, ready? The next one is I'm ready. a betrayer five months since discovery. I'm in a crisis and can't seem to be the person she wants me to be. I'm being honest and have read out of the doghouse. One of the most powerful things to me was that we both need to find emotional support and I can't seem to show her the way to find emotional support system outside of me. How can I guide her to into this thought without it seeming like I'm demanding it? You first. Oh my gosh, I was like, you can't do it. So. Um, invite her to watch this video if she's not on right now. I have said to a lot of addicts, you know, because they're always like wanting to focus on her. And I'm like, oh, that's just a distraction. Um, like you work on you, like you becoming the trustworthy person. I'm glad that you um, read out of the doghouse and find, found it helpful. But, you know, it talks about what you need to do for you to become a trustworthy person and not go fix her because that's a really easy, oh, let me change the focus over to her. Her getting help, you know, it, like I mentioned, the support groups, we've got betrayed partner support groups, old lady posse on Tuesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning, uh, pro-dependence aligned support for partners, Sunday night. So, those are places where she can come and get help. If she doesn't have a pro-dependent aligned support therapist, have her reach out to me, Tammy, T-A-M-I at SeekingIntegrity.com. Include where you're located and I'll do my best to find her the right support person. There's, you know, there, there's so many resources. You are not support for her. She's really not the best support for you right now. You guys need support and uh, to heal separately and then eventually together. Yeah, I, I agree, Tammy. I think that it starts separate. And, you know, a lot of us say we wait on couples therapy, except for setting boundaries and going through disclosure in the beginning, because, you know, in some ways, all partners say is you ruined my life. And all we say is, I'm sorry. So we have to get past that part. Um, one of the words that came up for me is enmeshed. Um, sometimes I talk to couples who are like, oh, we love each other and everything's so great, except for this. And we, we still want to be around each other all the time and spend time with each other all the time. And I think, this is a couple that hasn't separated enough to really get in touch with what's, with what's really happened. Because if I were married to you and you'd done this to me, I don't think I would want to turn to you for your most, for my emotional support. I think I'd like to kick you in the butt with a boot regularly. So unless that turned you on, which case I wouldn't, different story. <laughs> but you understand the woman who wants to come to you for emotional support, who's also been betrayed, is not really um, allowing herself to feel that betrayal to get angry. It's only been five months. And as was stated before, partners can be angry and hurt for a very long time. So part of what I'm thinking is if you're a partner and you want things to just stay good and you want to put that over there and that's the only thing and all of that, you might try to try to make it work in other areas. 
the other thing I was thinking is that maybe she's monitoring you. You know, maybe she doesn't want you to be alone. And so she's around you a lot because she wants to see what you're doing and, and make herself feel safe. But let me say this. First of all, Tammy, can you please tell us, because you say this all the time, where can people find these recordings? Uh, if they want to see more of us doing this, where can they find them? Sure. And I'll say it out loud because this is being recorded. So if you happen to find it on YouTube, but we have previously recorded webinars on sexandrelationshiphealing.com. Under the resource tab, you'll see previously recorded webinars. They're all there. Podcasts are on that same uh, website. There are so many resources on that w website. It's probably a bit overwhelming, but we do have them categorized for partner, for the addict. There, we've been specific for couples. We've been very specific about putting things in hopefully the right bin to help you find them. And, and Sorry, I, I thank you, Tammy, because I hear you say it. And I'm like, I, I truly don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, oh, if I, because you said maybe you want to listen to the one. And I thought, how would I find it? Where would it go? And they're free, by the way. You know, all that stuff is free. There was more and more thing about this, which um, I think that you get to sell. I feel like I could set boundaries with my partner like, and maybe this is part of the problem. You read a book that I wrote to make your partner feel better and to try to help them understand that you get it but it's only been five months. <laughs> and even though you may be practicing all of that, she's in la la land, pain, loss. You know, she's a lot, she hasn't even figured out what the heck's going on. She's still in shock. So you can do, you can dance on the head of a pin with everything I've ever said. And she's emotionally vulnerable and broken. And so, you know, I would give her some time. The other thing is boundaries. You know, if she says, you know, whatever it is, whatever you think this emotional support system is that she wants you to be. There's nothing wrong with saying to her, I love you, but I can't do that. You know, I love you, but I don't, you know, that's, uh, that's why I go to therapy or I love you, but, you know, set a boundary. Don't answer every one of her questions. Don't try to fix her. Let her struggle a little with her own stuff, not her feelings about you, what you did, but you can't fix her. And if she's turning you to ask her to fix her, then you need to explain to her that you can't in a loving way. We have lots of but, questions tonight. Yeah, Tammy. no, I do, but and I'm um, I'm also thinking it's only been five months, and I'm glad you read out of the doghouse. But I don't hear, and here's the twelve steps I'm doing. Here's my therapist. Here's all the other things I'm doing because reading a book is great. But if I told an addict earlier today, if read, he was a smart guy, I could tell. And you know, I'm like, if reading a book was all we'd need, we would read one book and we'd all be fixed. And that's just not how it works. So, so if you guys are in crisis, I hear consistently from um, our alumni, but really from their partners that when the guys come to treatment, it can be life changing for the partners as well, because they start to see that you know, that change and transformation. So, so I would invite you to consider if that is a space that you are willing to, to step into, you know, investing 14 days with us to have it be well, on a different path is to me a good idea. But oh, what? Actually, let me say that to everybody, because now I have decided there's no fear in this. We run a treatment program that is residential. And I've had people on this group who said, oh, I just went this place for treatment. And I'm thinking like, wait a minute, there is no more, I'm sorry to be arrogant, but there are very few experts at this level. Who, I don't think there are any experts at this level who are actively in some way working with your families. So if you want to go to, I just had someone to write me say, I want to go to the $65,000 treatment center. What do you think? And I thought, what do I think? I think you're, I think most of the people there I've trained. Well, you know that in terms of certain arenas. So um, I, do you hear my uh, frustration? I think I have. I'm with you. I had somebody called earlier today that was asking me for referrals. I was like, why would you not want to get expert treatment? You know, 
But, you know, if you want a swimming pool and you want to play tennis and you want to go, you know, and I don't mean to be insulting. They, those folks, those places all do a lot of work, but I, I run treatment centers. I know who works there. You have the intern who's just, you have the person who hasn't gotten the practice together yet. Um, maybe you've got someone who's been there for 40 years, but in treatment center, it, it's a, it's a burnout job. So, um, I mean, the large ones where you got lots of people churning through and all that. So generally the really good people get in and then they get out, they get their hours. They, so, and I'll say one more thing that Tammy and I've talked about. Part of what we strive to do is be very articulated. If you need mental health to be looked at, if you need drug issues to be looked at, if you've got a problem with your parents, and when we're, I think it's really based on what that person needs. My experience with a lot of the larger programs, and I've created some, uh, although I would like to think they're better, is um, they're a little cookie cutter. You know, if you're a married man who has had an affair and been with three prostitutes and ruined your wife's life and wants to regain your family, we can probably help you with that. But pretty much more complicated cases, they're not so good at. And I've seen treatment centers a lot hand me a diagnosis that said he's love addicted, he's work addicted. I'm like, does he have depression? Does he have, did you even look at mental health? So anyway, Tammy, I don't mean to go on and on, but I do want to really support the work we do. I'm very proud of it. And I think everyone is in that house right now. I know they are. Uh, except the person, people who are new probably think, well, what the heck am I doing here? But we got a bunch of guys who we're talking to right now, and they could tell you that they're growing as men and that they understand more than they ever have the responsibilities they have to partner family. So they got it. Um, and that's what you want. You want them to get it. If they keep it, that's up to them. Okay, I'm done with the rant. Thank well, you, we Kathy. provide support ongoing for that as well. So, so you know, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I, it drives me crazy. You know, I'm like, why wouldn't you want the best chance? I want, I am so beyond grateful for my recovery. Why would it, people not want the very best chance at moving forward in a different way? So anyway. And just to say it, since it's our site, we don't charge $60,000. We don't charge $20,000. So because we're in it for really helping people and not feeding some corporate system. So anyway. Okay. Let's take a Next breath. Next question. So sex addict here acting out has severely affected my wife's health, spirituality, emotionally, and physically. I'm watching her literally fade away. She is exhausted um, of the entire situation and is giving up. I want to help her. Oh, repeat of what we just said, but I've been told I cannot, and she needs to heal on her own path. What's the best starting point for and path for her to heal? You getting qualified help to be different. Her having support from a qualified right. pro-dependent line therapist, you know, her getting support with the old lady posse or the uh, pro-dependent support groups. I don't know her age, but you know, so whatever is the right fit, but you know, again, you focusing on her takes the work away from you doing your work. I, I want to add to that. And yes, I think every day that we can, it's not punishment. It's humility that we get to stay with you. Every day is a demonstration on some level that we are working on ourselves. But I do want to say something about this specific issue. Um, I remember when I ended a relationship that was very meaningful to me in my 30s, and it was so devastating. Um, and I found myself walking along the beach, and I didn't want to happen in my life, and I was crying a lot. And I realized later that that stressful incident had pushed me into depression. And I didn't even know up to that point that I had depression. But the longer I, I mean, when I hear things like health, fade away, exhausted, I'm just picking out those terms. And, and I don't read stuff exactly like this very often. Overwhelmed, angry, you know, doesn't want to talk. I mean, that's more often. So my concern would be, you know, is she depressed? 
um, in some way. And and if she is, it makes it that much harder for him or her to simply get her shit together, no less try to work with you and figure this out. And so, you know, if you have, I think Tammy's absolutely right. She needs a professional. And in this case, I, I don't think whatever she needs is something you can give her. It isn't just, you know, I, I want you to know I'm recovering and here, you know, it's also, I'm concerned about her when I read this. That's That's me as a therapist, so... Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.